spiritual stability. As we have seen over the last couple of broadcasts, it includes a clear understanding of the biblical command and also a look at harmony within the fellowship of love. Today, we'll take a look at a spirit of joy. Join us for Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse next. Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4 is where we're at today. Welcome to this edition of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Today we're looking at verse 4 of Philippians chapter 4, and we'll see what it means to maintain a spirit of joy. And we'll also focus in on what joy really means from a biblical perspective, as opposed to what the world thinks joy is all about. Here's Pastor Steve Converse with today's broadcast of graceful truth. Spiritual stability is related to the attitudes that you have. It's not related to your circumstances. It's related to how you think. That's a key thing. In other words, I can't this morning say, oh, you know what, here, just do this ABC and you'll have spiritual stability in your life. It doesn't work that way. It's related to your attitudes. It's related to, your, to your, how you think. It's not related to your circumstances. So you can be going through major problems at work and still have spiritual stability. And even more importantly, I think it's directly related, not how you think about yourself. We're so much into ourselves, we think, oh yeah, how do I think about myself? He's not talking about that. I think you'll have spiritual stability when you stop and you say, you know what? It's not about me, it's about God. What's my attitude toward God? What do I think about God? And when you learn to react properly, when you learn to react the way God would react, not that God reacts, that's the key. We want to be people that act, not react. And so it's, it's just an important thing. And he even goes down, look at verse 8. If you wonder where I'm getting this, in verse 8 he says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, and he goes through this whole thing, this whole list of things. Why? Because it's important what you're dwelling on. It's important what you're thinking. And then at the end he says what? Let your mind dwell or think on these things. And it's not about what you think about yourself. It's not about what you think about your problem. It's how you think about God that controls your spiritual stability. It really is. Everything revolves itself around your theology, around what you think your, your God is like, and how you think about God will really control your spiritual life in every dimension. He uses that word in verse 2, urge, he says, I implore or I urge. It has the idea of calling alongside of. It's the same word that we get the, the word paraclete from referring to the Holy Spirit in John's Gospel. It means to, to plead or to beg or to encourage or to help. And he says, I want to plead with these two women, Euodia and Syntyche, to please live in harmony in the Lord. Now, you know, Paul is an incredible theologian. And, you know, he's gone through incredible depth in this book up to this point. But basically, what he's saying here is very, very simple. He says, basically, you know what? There's these two women. Tell them to get their act together. That's kind of the idea. Get your act together. We know that they weren't disagreeing over something of theology, because Paul would jump right in there and say, okay, you know, you owe you, you think this, and you think this. Well, here's the right thing to think. Go this way. That's just the way Paul always does it. He always confronts any false teaching. We know that they weren't 
They weren't false teachers. They weren't teaching a false gospel or false doctrines, anything like that. And yet there were some very serious problems here with these two women. We know that they were probably plugged into the church there in some way. We know that they were involved. And so he, he basically says, you know what? You need to get your act together. That's kind of what he's telling them. And he says, I want you to have harmony in the Lord. And so it wasn't a doctrinal issue. It was These were two ladies that were committed to the, the church. They weren't really out there from the outside coming in and, and, and doing something that was wrong. We know that they weren't creating havoc in the church. They just were disagreeing on something. We're not really told what it is. And so he simply says to them, you know what? You should live in harmony. Let them live in harmony. Because if they don't, it's going to affect your whole church. It's going to affect the whole Philippian church. You notice he says to live in harmony, what? In the Lord. And I think that part of that, be of the same mind in the Lord. That's what he's saying. If they just get right with the Lord, it will solve the problem. Do you ever realize that? You ever realize when you have a problem with somebody, maybe you have an issue with somebody, a gripe or a complaint or whatever, and you begin to kind of harbor some bitterness or an attitude in your own heart against that person, immediately what do we do? Oh, we've got to talk to that person. We've got to go, you know, make everything right. Now, the first thing you should do is go to the Lord. Because really, you know what? Your problem is with the Lord. And that's just, it's just working itself out with this other person. For some reason, you have an issue with the Lord. Because when two people are right with the Lord, generally, they're right with each other. I know that's true in our marriage. When we're both right with the Lord, generally we're right with each other. But when one of us isn't right with the Lord, it seems to be me more than my wife, on occasion, you know what? It's not cool between us. And God's got to do a work in my heart or God's got to do a work in her heart. And then, you know, we go to the Lord and then all of a sudden there's harmony and there's peace there. See, if you're walking in the Spirit, I'm right with the Lord. And if you're walking in the Spirit and you're right with the Lord, you're going to get along just great. That's just the way it is. There's not going to be a problem. And then he goes even a step further here. He's so concerned about this, he doesn't just urge them to get together. Remember, this is a letter that Paul wrote to this church. It's a letter. It would be like me standing up here and opening a piece of mail from one of our missionaries and saying, hey, uh, Brother Nelson sends his love, and, and I start reading a letter to you. Only in the letter, Paul heard that there's some problems within the church. And you notice, Paul doesn't really, uh, you know, beat around the bush here. The elders probably got up in the church, and they began to read Paul's letter. And you can just imagine Euodian Syntax sitting out there. Oh, isn't that sweet? Paul wrote us a letter. Because you know what? People that have issues with each other a lot of times aren't even aware of it because they've, they've put up such a barrier. They've put up such a, just a, a wall there that they're just willing to live with the, the distance in their relationship. And, you know, that's just that person I don't get along with. I don't click with that person. And that's just the way it's going to be. I'm sure these two women were involved in ministry. They were doing whatever in the church. They were helping Paul, he says, that they helped them. They labored with me in the gospel. These weren't people that just came to church and po pointed their finger at other people and, and didn't do anything. These were people who were involved. And the elders were up there reading a letter from Paul. And these two ladies are sitting there, oh, isn't that sweet, isn't that sweet? And he comes to the last little section of the letter. And he says, I implore you, Euodia, and I implore Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. I mean, talk about a direct hit. And then he goes a step further and he says, I also urge you, true companion true comrades, I ask you to help these people. 
So right there in the letter as they're reading it, he's being read to the people and he says, you know what? He asks, I believe it's, a, it's, a, it's an individual, I believe it's a man, to help these women get harmony. And I'll explain that to you in a second. It's part of the mutual ministry of the church. He doesn't ask the pastor. He doesn't ask even probably the elders here. Obviously, they dropped the ball because this, they allowed this to go on. He had to ask somebody else within the congregation to deal with it. And what I want to focus in on is that, that word there, true companion or true comrade. Sounds kind of like something you read about in an old war movie or something. Comrade, you know. But the Greek word is very specific. It's translated yoke fellow or someone who carries a common load, a yoke, you know, two oxen pull that, and it's pulling the same load. It has that idea. It's someone that's your partner in something, an endeavor, an enterprise. So if you translate it, you could take that, that word, that Greek word there. It seems kind of odd because why wouldn't he use the individual's name? He uses Clement's name, he uses Yodia's name, he uses Syndic's name. So that seems a little odd that he would just say, oh yeah, and you yoke fellow man, or whatever. You know, he, he wouldn't say that. He wouldn't have forgotten the guy's name. because He's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So why wouldn't he put his name in here? Some people believe that he's talking about the whole church. The whole, the whole church, the, the yoke fellow of the whole church. But you know what? It's a singular. But it is a collective noun involving the whole church. And he says, I ask all of you to help these women. That's a possibility. But one commentator brings out a, an interesting point, and I think this is kind of where I fall on this. If you, trans, if you don't translate this, this word at all in the Greek and just use it the way it's spelled out there, syzygous, it could actually be a person. Paul could actually be referring to somebody named Syzygus here. And his name would mean yoke fellow. His name would mean fellow laborer. He may have been one of the elders. We don't know. We don't know who this guy is. We just know that Paul apparently points to this individual and says, these women need some help and you're the man to do it. And if you stop and you think of it that way, which isn't uncommon, you think of Barnabas. What did his name mean? Encouragement, right? Onesimus. I mean, the same thing. I mean, it's useful. You know, a lot of times they would name people after maybe a characteristic they have or whatever, or they just ended up being that way. Well, a lot of people believe that this is, is an individual. It's not just a, a general term here. So he could be referring to somebody, an individual called Syzygus, and he says, look, I want you to help these women. Stand firm. How are you going to do that? Well, you've got to help each other. You have to be a conflict resolver. You have to be a peacemaker. I remember when I was a youth pastor, young people used to come to me all the time, oh, you don't understand my parents, and they'd start whining and whining about the relationship with their, their mom and dad. And I'd always tell them the same thing. I said, you know what, just go home and be a peacemaker in your home. Well, what do you mean by that? Just do what you're told to do. And I guarantee your parents' attitude will change toward you. Well, what do you mean? Okay, this isn't rocket science. When mom says, do the dishes, just do the dishes. I mean, what, did it take you five, ten minutes? You had a big family, maybe 20? When mom says, take out the garbage, just get up and take out the garbage. When dad says, go mow the lawn, go mow the lawn. Just be obedient. Just do what you're told to do when you're told to do it. But you know, that comes hard. Yeah, I will, I will, you know, just finish this show here. That's not being a peacemaker. Well, it's the same thing within the church. It's the same thing when it comes to relationships in general, whether it be marriage or otherwise. Maybe at work, just seek to be a peacemaker. Just do what you're told to do. And do it as unto the Lord. Not so you get a pat on the back. Do it unto the Lord. And you watch 
how the dynamics change. Now this church was obviously going through a struggle. And these two women, it was just kind of flushing itself out in their relationship. And he says, I want you to be of the same mind. I want you to, to, to be of the, the same, kind of focused on the same things. And when it boils down, what should we be focused on? We should be focused on Christ. The Bible's full of commands to, you know what, you don't look out for your own interests, right? You look out for the interests of those around you. Well, well that changes the whole dynamic in a situation. If you're not after your pound of flesh, all of a sudden you're willing to give up a pound of flesh to make somebody else happy. Well, that changes the whole thing. And so he's sharing with them that, you know, they need some help to, to deal with this. But that's the, the, the first principle that's here. And he even goes on and he says, you know what, they've labored with me. He, he doesn't criticize them. So it probably wasn't even that big of a deal. But it had potential to become a big deal. So he says, you know what, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Kind of reminds them. You know, these, these two individuals are believers. They are Christians. They do mean something to God. I mean, he did die for them too. Sometimes within the church, we put up these walls within our relationships as if, you know, we're the only one that God died for and nobody else is important. But that's not true. In other words, he's saying, you know what? They're on the team. They're believers. They're faithful servants. They're workers. So he's saying, do whatever you have to do, but deal with it. Notice there the reference to the book of life. I mean, that's where God wrote down in eternity past the names of all his elect. It's like God is just opening up the book and he's revealing that their name is in there because those names were written in the book of life in eternity past. Isn't that incredible? think that God, before the foundation of the world, set his love on us in such a divine way that, that one day he was going to take the blinders off our eyes and we would realize, wow, you know what? I need Christ. I need to come to Christ. But in his mind, we're already there. That's, that's incredible to me. And so he says, make sure you stand firm with these folks. There's got to be love amongst them. There's got to be harmony. And you need to, to work this out. So I can tell you, when a church becomes unstable and fractured, and it's just ugly. It just gets ugly really quick. There's a lack of forgiveness. There's a bitterness that grows up. There's negative spirits that just, you know, take over the place. And so we always want to make sure that we're, we're willing to go forth in, in love and harmony and peace with other people. That's one of the first principles. And the only way you can do that is in the Lord. Be of the same mind in the Lord. You can't do this on your own. I know I can't. I mean, frankly, there's some people that I'm drawn to. There's some people I could talk to all day. And I'm just being honest. There's other people, man, I want to run the other way when they start coming. That's the way we all are. Let's just be honest. We're all that way. We're attracted to certain personalities or, or whatever. But you know what? In the Lord, God gives you the love for that. And, and God can give you the same mind, that, that harmony for that person. That's what it's all about. Now, on to the second point. He says in verse 4, he says, rejoice always in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So the, the first principle there is, you know what? You need to cultivate a, kind of an atmosphere, a, a harmony, a peace through love. That's how you have to do it. You can't do it any other way, through Christ, through the Spirit. And then secondly, he says, if you want to have some stability in your life, you have to maintain a spirit of joy. You have to maintain a spirit of joy. And you know what? This is probably one of the strongest stabilizing factors 
in a Christian's life. If they can get this, if they can come to understand this. Because you know what? As believers and as just individuals, as people, we tend to be victimized by our circumstances. That's just who we are. We have our highs, we have our lows, we have our highs, we have our lows. We fluctuate all over the map. And it's all dependent on how the stuff in our life is going. The checkbook balances this month. Hey, great. Doesn't. Oh, man, just having a horrible time. Got that promotion at work. Everything's great. Lost my job. You know, if there's calm in your life, if things are just kind of going along, if everything's going the way that we would like it to go, then it's kind of a peaceful time. Then we make the decision, well, now I can do this, rejoice in the Lord. I mean, that makes sense. But if all that stuff in our life begins to disintegrate and kind of just fall apart, then what do we do? We lose it. See, that's not what he's saying here. That has nothing to do with what he's talking about. You know when he says there in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always? Do you understand that's a command? That's a command. That's, that's not an option. He's not saying, by the way, when you feel happy, you might want to rejoice in the Lord. That's not what he's saying. And somebody would say, well, how in the world can you command somebody to rejoice? How can you go up to somebody and say, rejoice? What's that look like? What do they do? Well, look at what he says. What's he say? Does he just say rejoice? No. He says rejoice in the Lord. He says rejoice in the Lord. I don't know about you, but I can't rejoice in my circumstances 24-7 or most of the time even. Seems like chaos a lot of the time. I can't rejoice in the way things are going in this world. You look around, it's like, man, you get depressed. I can't even rejoice in, in, in spiritual accomplishments. So I don't have any spiritual accomplishments if it wasn't for the grace of God. I mean, when I look at my life, all I see is failures. I don't rejoice in that. So if I'm going to rejoice in something, it's not going to be me, that's for sure. You say, well, don't you want to look at other people and rejoice in them? No. Not that they're not nice people. But you know what? I've burned, been burned many times. I've been let down. I've been you know, disappointed with a lot of people. As probably they have been with me. So I, I don't want to tie my joy to an individual, to a person. How about in success? When, when everything's going fine and you're successful in your job or your ministry or whatever. I don't want to tie my joy to that. Because that could all end tomorrow. That could be gone tomorrow. So what Paul says is, you know what? Beloved, you need to rejoice in the Lord. Because you know why? He doesn't come and go. There's stability there. He stays. He never wavers, the Bible says. He never changes. You see, if we believe in the Lord and we rejoice in the Lord, then you know what? Our faith is going to be strong. Because we know who He is. It doesn't matter what our circumstances are. It's irrelevant. That's really tied to what I said at the very beginning this morning. I said st spiritual stability is directly tied to how you think about God. You want to be spiritually stable in your Christian walk? Then stop and start thinking correctly about the God that you love and serve and who died for you. Show me a person who isn't stable and I'll show you a person who has a, a skewed view of God, a skewed understanding of God. That's why a lot of times these people have problems and problems and problems. They're always worrying about this and that. They're always struggling with these little problems in life. And they're always running around looking for some quick fix, some little book or seminar or tape or psychiatrist or counselor, whatever it is to get a fix in their life so that they don't have these problems anymore. A lot of times, you know what? They need to stop and go back and read through the book of Psalms. Just begin to read through the book of Psalms. Do them a lot of good. There's just, I still think, certain ways to approach things. I mean, why do you think God gave the book of Psalms to the people of Israel? They're in a kind of poetic form, in a, in a meter. They can be easily memorized. They can be set to music. 
They can be easily remembered. They're Scripture. They can be an encouragement to you. They would know God better as a result of that. And when they knew who God was, everything else seemed to be insignificant because they were rejoicing in the Lord. If you don't know much about the Lord, it's tough to rejoice in the Lord. The early church even rejoiced when they suffered because they said they were so happy. Acts 5.41 it says, To have been counted worthy to have suffered for such a worthy name. A continual, habitual joy should mark us. And so Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I repeat it, Rejoice in the Lord in case you missed it. And that's what Romans 14.17 says, The kingdom is made up of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. See, you can't have joy without the Spirit of God in your life. You can't have joy unless you've made that commitment to Him and, and received His forgiveness and His grace. And He's given you the Spirit of God to reside within you. Well, you say, well, okay, well, so I think about God. What do I have to rejoice about? Just in closing, I'll just give you a couple things. First of all, He's sovereign over everything. The Bible says that God is sovereign over everything. And to me, that's, that's so important. That's right down to the basics of theology. And you know what? When you have that kind of God and you have that kind of thinking about your God, you can't steal your joy because you realize that God is in charge of everything. So when you're driving down the freeway and you have a flat tire and you're out there in the rain fixing the tire, can you rejoice in that? Well, you can say, you know what? God allowed this to happen for some reason because He sh surely could have prevented it. I don't know why, but I'm here changing my flat tire in the rain. Praise God. And you realize you move to the next thing. I think the single greatest truth I know about God as a believer is that He's sovereign. He's in charge of everything. Nothing happens out of His control, the Bible says. He controls it all, absolutely all of it. I mean, just go through Psalm 139. When you read that, you know, He knows when you're sitting down. He knows when you're rising up. He knows what you're going to say before you even say it. He knows the way you're going to walk. And He holds every part of your life in absolute, total control. What a tremendous truth. You're not just rejoicing in God. You're rejoicing in a sovereign God. Think about this. When you realize that God is loving, that God is wise, that God has a total understanding of every aspect of your life. I mean, that changes the whole approach to things for me. Think about it this way. Why do you have joy unspeakable and full of glory? First of all, because everything in my life is controlled by God. It says I'm one of His children. Secondly, because God saved me. And He made me His own child. And He promised to give me an inheritance in Christ. That's all right there in the Bible. I'm His child. I belong to Him. And I'm going to rejoice because Jesus Christ is coming someday and He's going to take me to be with Him. And right now the Bible even says that He's preparing a place for me. I rejoice because my God's able to, to supply all my needs. Everything I need. He'll supply it according to His riches in Christ Jesus. I'm going to rejoice because I'm being used by God to serve the one I love. We should all count that a privilege. We should all rejoice in the fact that God has included us in this thing called ministry to share the gospel with those around us who have yet to hear and to see them come to Christ. I rejoice in the fact that I don't have to get in line to get an audience with my God. Because we have instant access to God. And the God of the universe listens to everything I have to say. <laughs> One of the last reasons that we can have joy in our God is because death is gain. I can't wait for the day that He takes me home, that I'm out of here. I thank God that when I die, it's gain. <laughs> But I thank God that in Christ I can look forward to that as, as finally being with the one who saved me. Face to face. That's spiritual stability. That kind of joy. That kind of loving mutual harmony. 
in relationships. That's just the first step, but it's directly related to those two. And I pray that we would stop and ask ourselves, why would we compromise? God is in control. Why would we waver in our faith? God loves us enough to die for us. Why would we doubt? How can I doubt a God that's so clearly revealed to me in Scripture? Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.